Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Salgado's poems are multifaceted and eye-opening. The best poetry often works with language in unexpected ways and with life as well. Poems are no exception to this. They are, surprising. They are as surprising as running into a friend unexpectedly and as necessary as breathing. Tesoro is a story of family, survival, and the formative power of the women in Salgado's life. It is a telling of the balance between love and perseverance. Tesoro is an unearthing of the sacred connections that make a person whole, the treasure we forever keep with us when we learn from those we love, when we mourn those we've lost, and what grows in between. She's a Los Angeles-based Salvadoran poet who writes about her family, her culture, her city, and her brown body. She has shared her work in venues and campuses throughout the country. In the last four years, she self-published zines of poetry titled The Luna Poems, Woes, and Sentimental Boss Bitch. She's a three-time member of the Poetry Lounge Slam team and a 2017 National Poetry Slam finalist. Her work has been featured in Latina Magazine, Univision, Vibe Magazine, Huffington Post, NPR, TEDx, and many other digital platforms. Her first book, Corazon, was published with Not a Cult, Fall of, 20, fall of 2017. We're incredibly fortunate to have her back with us this evening. Please join me in giving her a warm welcome. How's everybody doing? I know we're like amongst books and we're taught to be quiet amongst books, but that's not my kind of party. So how's everybody doing? So I'm so, so happy to be here. Um, when I was in middle school, I was in a poetry um, club at King Middle School, and my teacher, Mr. A.B., brought us here to do a poetry reading before this was Skylight Bookstore. And ever since then, I always dreamt about having a book in these shelves. I've been coming to Skylight my whole life. So many Sunday afternoons were spent with me eating at the House of Pies and then walking over. I brought so many dates. <laughs> so if, I, if you've ever been in this room with me, it's because I love you and I wanted to share something very special to me. I've sat and cried around this tree so many times and um, read books I couldn't afford to take home, um, spent money I shouldn't be spending. And, and um, there's a section in the front to the left at uh, Los Angeles Poets. And that was my biggest dream at 13 years old to be able to have a book on those shelves. And now I do. I have two. So, so this is a... Thank you. This is a very full circle moment for me, and, and um, I'm really, really happy to be here and to have y'all share it with me. Um, this is home. I'm from Silver Lake, uh, so I spent a lot of time up and down the street, and then, like, um, you know, giving stink eyes to Jennifer Fires and stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, I forgot my copy of Corazon, so I'm going to borrow one of the ones behind me. I want to read um, one of my favorite poems from Corazon which is my love letter to Los Angeles it's called What I Know. When all the bus routes that take you in and out of downtown Los Angeles. Two, the names of every street between Silver Lake and Echo Park. Three, what each store was before the gentrification. Four, 
the corner we found my father on after a diabetic shock, five, the alley mommy had us walk through the night Bobby hit her, six, the clinic where I saw my first therapist when I was 12, seven, the parking lot where a drunk Bobby tried to teach me to drive, eight, the Rite Aid where I got banned from for shoplifting, nine, the store that doesn't ID for beer, 10, the old zoo, 11, Griffith Park in his secret corners, 12, Glendale and a shopping mall, 13, Santa Monica Beach and my two sisters, 14, Papi's old car and our block, 15, my body, a glowing star within it, 16, my first love and his arms around me, 17, the Hakaranda tree where I cried him out of me, 18, the dead end where I took my next lover, 19, the condom wrappers by the 101, 20, Fairfax and Melrose, 21, another lover in his car, 22, his hand on my knee down sunset, 23, the apartment in Culver City, 24, the breakup in Westwood, 25, in Hollywood, 26, on Broadway, 27, the hospital in East LA, 28, the two fetuses it kept, 29, California hospital, 30, my father, it kept. 31, the grief I left everywhere. 32, what this city takes. 33, what this city gives. 34, what I cannot forget. 35, who I was before I knew. What I know now, before these palm trees ever loved me back. Thank you. Thank you. So Corazón was my first book, right? And so when I put Corazón together, I'm like, I'm going to tell this love story. And my coffee's up here in the front. Hold on a second. Thank you so much. So to know me is to know that I'm always 15 minutes late to everything. Sorry, one second. I'm going to, I have a bad leg, so sometimes I need to sit down. So we're going to get comfortable, okay? Speak amongst yourselves. So it's not weird. <laughs> or somebody hum the Jeopardy song to me. There you go, this is good. Can everybody still see me pretty good? I mean, if you can, I love you, but. We're gonna figure this out. Okay, so when I wrote Corazon, I was like, I'm gonna tell this love story, right? And I'm like, and it's gonna be, cause that's what I do most, I write love poems. And, um, how could I not? I grew up listening to Juan Gabriel. Oh my God, if he's not dead, I'm gonna riot. <laughs> I tweeted that. Quick side note, Juan, for those of you that don't know, Juan Gabriel is, um, I don't even know what the equivalent for English speakers would be, but he's kind of like Elton. He's like Prince, but like more, like, Mike, like Michael Jackson, but like, wouldn't dance, I don't know why, I don't know how to, he's, he's just this beautiful artist that wrote so much music for himself and other artists and just sang the, like the greatest love songs that would either make you want to fall in love or that will like see right through all your ache and then you'd like sob, right? And um, there's songs that many of us could hear and on cue we'll start crying. Like I think most of us have cried to Amor Eterno at least once. And so I grew up listening to him and to Los Bukis and to Los Temerarios, all these love, 
all these bands that sang about love and then watching novelas, which is all about frustrated love, right? And like, the girl wants the guy, but the guy can't figure it out. And then I'm just like, leave him. And she's like, waits till the end. And so um, when Corazón, when I put Corazón together, it had to be a love story. But the thing that, the, that surprised me about the book, that it wasn't a love story about the relationship that I thought I was writing about, it was a love story about me, right? About how, what happens beyond the relationship, beyond an off and on again relationship. Like, how do you return to yourself? And that's like what the whole book is working towards. Like, am I worthy of love? And then it answers the question of like, yes, but you are your, your own love. <laughs> like, this is how this works. And um, so when I wanted to do Tesoro, I wanted to, to kind of continue that conversation, right? Like, okay, so now that you love yourself, like, what, what, what do we write about now, right? Like, what do we explore? And I wanted to write about my family. And at first, like, I had this huge idea that I was gonna, like, interview all the women in my family because I realized that the men in my family are awful. <laughs> and I was gonna interview them and we we're gonna talk about how they survived and try to figure, like, out all the stories and stuff. And then um, as the book was approaching, because um, I give myself ridiculous deadlines. <laughs> I was like, that's not happening. The book is like, when you have a collection of poetry, you think that you're the one that's in charge, right? You think you're the conductor, and that's not how this works. It's almost like, it's another living, breathing creature, and you all have to communicate with each other, and the poems tell you what they want to be. And I'm a strong, strong believer of that. So as I was doing this, I was like, I don't know what this is, but we're going to... We're gonna figure it out. So I'm still figuring it out as we go. And every time so far that I've done a reading, I've read different poems because I'm really interested in recreating the book every single time I get in front of a different audience because I'm never the same person and the audience is never the same, right? And um, yeah, so I'm gonna read, the first poem is called Terremotos. They lived in a tiny house with missing windows, so it always seemed as if their home was squinting. Its front yard, a tangled mess of balding hair, rusty lawn furniture, old bicycles, and two lemon trees. The kitchen's linoleum sang beneath the mother's shifting weight as she washed dishes before bed. The father read his newspaper in the dining room, a bottle of vodka hidden beneath his chair, the radio tuned to a sad, slow, honey-thick bolero spread evenly over the dinner table. In the bedroom, the three sisters wild even when silent. Their books, poems, and drawings covered every surface of the house. There were pets, sometimes a dog, sometimes a cat, sometimes a rabbit or a turtle or a pigeon, once for an hour a baby possum until the mother made the second daughter give it back. At night, the tiny house became a jail cell with shouting matches and riots. Everyone pushed and pushed until the walls threatened to burst, but never did. The mother would return to the kitchen and the father would leave and search for more drink. And three sisters would laugh loud over the music, over the hurt everyone fought over but never spoke about. They would howl their best wild howls and the mother would threaten to come out of the kitchen with a sandal and the father would sigh calling them terremotos. And they were. In that tiny house they shook so good you couldn't tell if things were the way they were from disaster or because they liked it that way. Thank you. <laughs> Mami, Tia Marina, Tia Reina, Tia Paz, Tia Morena, Tias with names forgotten, 
Thea's, borrowed Thea's, adopted Thea's, cousins old enough to be Thea's, all busy at the table. I'm a little girl with her curls pulled into a bun. Today, I get to hold the ladle and scoop the masa into the banana leaves. I pass it along to a tia who has the salsa. Another adds chicken, another potato, another ejote, another wraps it and drops it into a pot the size of my body. Mommy makes a joke. If no one brings any presents, we have plenty of tamales to unwrap at midnight. <laughs> and everyone laughs at the same joke we hear every year. <laughs> The Thea's gossip and I pretend not to listen. I watch as they laugh, stir pots, and smooth their hands over their aprons. My sisters call my name and I ignore them. I am learning magic today. Thank you. It's the month season, right? <laughs> um, I, I write a lot about food, right? Funny the fact that I write about food, but um, for that too, my relationship with food is an interesting relationship with food, but for us, our culture is so much is based around food, right? Especially for many of us that grew up not having much else, right? Like, there's always food in the house. You might not have like the flyest sneakers. You might be wearing the same pair of jeans two years in a row and you might have a safety pin in the zipper, but there's food in the fridge. And, and my mom always prided herself in that. And, and for us, like, um, that's how we communicate love, right? Like today, I'm, I have a little bit of a cold and she made me calores, right? Like, um, I guess it's called oxtail soup, right? Or whatever, something soup. <laughs> and um, she made me the soup and she, her arthritis is starting up and she's having a hard time walk. And um, she still made the soup because she knew that I didn't feel well and I had a reading today. And so she like waddled it over to me and I was just like, these are the moments that like I chase after in my work and like I'm like constantly rewriting the poems, you know, to try to get these beautiful little moments, you know, that are full of so much love, but at the same time full of ache, right? I, I feel like those are two feelings we continuously feel together and in Tesoro, um, I explored so much of that. The second chapter speaks a lot about my adolescence. And it starts with a poem called 1995. The summer I spent in Gainesville, long before love asked for my skin, when the blood came for the first time, while mommy was thousands of miles away, I was learning to swim, trusting the water with my body. My uncle didn't think I was doing it quickly enough, so he grabbed my life vest, took me far out into the lake, swim back. But I just floated there, crying, until my cousin came, took my hand, led me back where my toes touched sand. To this day, I still do not know how to swim. I don't. <laughs> this is called phone sex. <clears throat> the first time a man said, I love you, I had never seen his face. It came between grunts, between questions of underwear and how hard I could take it. I was a child and had found a number in a phone book somewhere I could call and someone would always listen to the sound of my voice, the shallow of my breath, turning me into a cliff they were begging to jump off of. When my mother blocked the numbers, I told her were the psychic hotlines. 
I then found the internet full of men trembling to touch the small of my prepubescent back. I was good at saying the best things. Words had always been my best toys and I shared them willingly. When I got older and a flesh and bone boy climbed over my body, I closed my eyes tight, pretending his mouth was a phone receiver and I was nothing but a stream of words climbing out of places I had kept hidden from my parents, my priest, my conscience, my God, this boy working away at me, digging into me like those phone men trembling to slide themselves in, didn't know how long I've been waiting to hear I love you from someone who sees my face, someone who drinks from it as if it were all there was for, their, for his parched lips, that I've been waiting to have someone steal the knot in my throat, take it as their own far, far away from the night where I found a number in a phone book and let men rub themselves raw as they listened to the poetry I had yet to learn was a blessing and never a curse. Thank you. How many of you are writers? One of you, raise your hand, really, really brave. How many of you have had your family have issues with your writing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the person people don't tell things to, or everything's for face. We're like, okay, I'm gonna tell you something, but you can't write about it. And then I'm like, no, I'm gonna write about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's one thing between keeping secrets, and there's another thing between um, being silent to things that need to be spoken about, right? And there's a difference. And obviously, I don't go list everybody's like four names. So you can go look them up on Facebook. <laughs> but um, and and for me, for the longest time, I thought my poetry was was a curse. It was something that I couldn't stop doing that I didn't want to do, but it was something that I would get in trouble for a lot, especially because I grew up in a home, you know, where my father was an alcoholic, where he was sometimes abusive, and at Latino homes, you don't tell anybody anything, because if you do, you are, my dad, my dad used to call me Judas. He used to, I mean, my dad loved me. He also used to call me Corazon, but, <laughs> but sometimes something would go, like, left, and then he'd call me Judas. Because like that's what I would do. I would write about poetry. And when I was in first grade, I wrote a poem about him um, uh, uh, physically abusing my mother, and a social worker came to the house. And I don't write about that in my work a lot because I think I processed it, and I forget that sometimes uh, my readers don't know me then. <laughs> so I, I try to share those stories when I can. But um, yeah, for a long time, my sisters would storm out of places where I would read poems and. And so when I read poems here, when I was 13, my dad came and my sisters came and I read a poem about my dad being an alcoholic. And then I saw my dad like look down at his hands and not look up the whole time. And then my sisters afterwards were so mad and we were supposed to go eat at Denny's. Um, Cause that's where you go, that's fancy. There's waitresses and, and menu and like people bring you your food. You don't go to a counter. And um, we were supposed to go eat at Denny's and my dad wasn't in the mood anymore. And so we just went home and I got the silent treatment for like the rest of the day. And, um, you know, he passed away before like I made a career out of myself with poetry. But my family's cool with it now. My sisters come to my readings. Um, my mom still sometimes, I have a poem that talks about um, uh, how she keeps jewelry in the house. And when I was practicing the poem at home once, she was just like, why are you telling everybody I have gold in the house? They're gonna come looking for it now. And then I was just like, Mom, one, nobody knows where you live. Two, no one wants my dad's old cross. Like, I don't, I don't think it's gold, Mom. But you know, it's, it's, 
it's these things, um, it's the culture, but for me, my biggest treasures are my poems, because it's how I don't forget. Uh, this poem is called San Vicente El Salvador. I lay a starfish girl on the bed of a pickup truck. The sky a candy blue as we drive up the road, cutting like a party ribbon around a volcano. Another truck, bigger and dustier than ours, roars by. It is heavy with men covered in ash and sweat. I know by the tired faces they've been working the cotton or sugar fields all day. They are headed home to warm tortillas and frijoles. Maybe if it's a good day, una sopa de pollo. San Vicente is church bells in a cathedral I can see for miles. The sun is setting, the sky a watercolor painting. I sit up and my hair becomes a waving flag. We drive in and out of small towns and villages, each a knot of noise, of color, smells, each a rosary bead, each a pebble leading us home. I am only eyes, no mouth, no hands. I give my heart to the horizon. This is my land. I was made of this dirt. San Vicente, a speck behind us. I am a starfish girl again. The stars are out and waving back at me. I pray we never stop driving, but the road becomes familiar. I hear my uncle and mother laughing from inside the truck's cabin as we slow down. I sit up again for a second there. I was all Salvadoran. The sky, volcano, and road agreed. Thank you. How many of you are from the San Fernando Valley? Really? Okay, I'm gonna read this poem. Um, I, in my early, in my early twenties, I'm 34. So in my early twenties, I spent a lot of time in Pacoima, and it's weird because nobody leaves this side of town to go to the valley. Like it's the other way around. But I have a poem about that. The valley. I don't go there anymore. <laughs> but you know, I, it has a place in my heart. <laughs> the Valley. Marco, Sochi, Rose, their parents, their house, the pool, the dogs, Marco's car, Kanye's college dropout, Jesus walks, hot nights outside of In N Out, hot nights at Venice Beach, hot nights at Placerita Canyon, the smell of weed, the beer, liquor, Kirby's pickup truck. Vicente Fernandez, 10 of us in an air-conditioned bedroom, Sochi and I the only girls, so much talking, laughing, sleep over like this, like 7 a.m. would always be our bedtime, like we'd be dancing on beaches until sunrise all our lives, like dinner from Little Caesars would never get old, like every house party was waiting for us to crash it. Marco was a brown boy, so brown they called him black. His parents, Salvadoran, before I knew words like diaspora and Afro-Latino, when I didn't understand why my loving made my parents, why my loving him made my parents uncomfortable, when the homies called him the N-word, a joke they said, and I lectured everyone until they rolled their eyes. Pacoima, so long ago we drove up the canyon one day. The car stalled on the way back down. 5 a.m. Kirby put the car on cruise control. Marco and Sochi, twin brother and sister, sat on the moon roof. I held their legs inside. We flew down into the city lights. The homie Drizzy was on the hood of the car. We, Central American and young, free as fuck. Laughter and wind in our lungs. The canyon caught fire a year or two later. 
We never went back. Marco met someone, three children. I fell in love with someone else. My father died. The world ended. Slowly, like another life I once lived. Pacoima, I say, like I was never there. Thank you. Man, the valley. We had a bar we would go to called the Little Rock. And in, in Van Nuys, nobody goes to Van Nuys party, but we would. Um, you know, when you're, when you're young and the one friend that has the one car, they decide where you go. <laughs> and that's where Marco wanted us to go, so that's where we all went. And um, it, those are good days. Like now, nowadays, I'm like, what? I can't, if I don't sleep eight hours one night, I don't function. And we used to go like up until 10 in the morning and then we'd be making plans for later. And we lived on monsters and little Caesars and weed. Um, so a little bit after that, um, I like I like piecing my books together in chronological order. It makes it easier. <laughs> it's my cheat code. But also, um, I like telling a story throughout the book. And so um, after I used to hang out in the valley, I ended up having a tonsillectomy. And um, had, like, it was tonsillectomy and UP3 surgery. When, like a lot of stuff in my throat got taken out. And so my voice changed. I used to have a really raspy voice. And so it's funny, like, I've changed a lot as a person too, but like, the parts that make me the most of me change too. And so the fact that like, so many people don't know, like, so many people recognize my voice now, but like, if they heard my other voice, they'd be like, who's that? And then I'm like, that was my sexier voice. That was my, that was my phone operator voice. But I wrote a poem called Tom Select Me, but in true Jessica fashion, it's a, it's, it's a love poem, kind of. I don't think you ever loved me, you say. I think of my throat surgery, how I was awake on a hospital bed and then I wasn't. Hours later, somebody kept saying my name. I was so far away, I didn't want to come back. I woke up to my doctor calling my name. I couldn't speak. I was moved to a new room, tubes down my throat. Nurses would talk to me and all I could do was nod. I got sent home the next day. I couldn't eat anything solid for weeks. I lived off of ice cream, jello, and chocolate pudding. One afternoon, my sisters baked a pizza. I had never wanted something so bad it hurt. I snuck into the kitchen, tore off a piece, slipped it in my mouth, let it sit on my tongue until it became mush, spit it out. I cried for hours afterwards. I could smell it through my window. When I healed, my voice changed. A small, smooth pebble I slid through my teeth. You called and you thought you had dialed the wrong number. I laughed. It's me. You were what I had been waiting to eat. What I hoped would heal. I do. I do love you. I spit out into the sink and cried myself to sleep. I have this poem called Tamarindo. You know, sometimes I think I'm really clever, but like I just be doing shit just because I can. <laughs> I don't know if it's being clever, but I could do it because I can. But um, I obviously the living in the front of the book, right? And then so when I couldn't title things poems, I just started naming them sour things because I'm like this is so clever. Nobody's gonna. Care. I'm like 
Bitch, at the Marina has a thing to do with any more. But it's still bitter. And the poem is really short. It says, I text good morning, but I meant to type, why are we not waking up in the same bed? You know that the Marina seat is small, whatever. I just wanted to share that with y'all. This poem is called Amargura. See? My theme. It's bitter for those of you that aren't Spanish privileged. <laughs> you asked me once, lipped wedged between mine, hands knuckled deep into curls, bed sheets cocooning our bodies. Would you be welcomed into this bed once you were married? The answer came. A suicide yes, a Mary Magdalene promise. The sex was never worth the truth, but my hands caved with too much air between us. You asked and I gave a white flag, my hair washing your feet. A pact made with the next woman, the future wife, you knew would come even as you pulled my hips closer. Take him, I've kept his bones warm just for you. Thank you. The husband with two kids, the weed man with no name, the Colombian with sweet Spanish, the single father with a soft chuckle, the rapper I almost moved in with, the poet with a secret fiance, the artist with a dog I imagined mine, the lover with a smile like a fish hook, all of them roads I took hoping to travel far away from you. None of them got me anywhere that didn't flood at the sound of your voice. Sale Limon. Bartender slides a shot over to me. I rub a slice of lemon on the back of my hand, sprinkle salt, lick it all off, toss the alcohol down my throat, place the lemon to my lips and suck. I turn around, smile at Zoe, nod when she asks if we should dance. I try not to look at you. At the end of the bar, my old heart, I pretend I don't know what the room already does. We aren't here together. You and I aren't here at all. Thank you. That was the broken hearted section of the night. Um, I recently, so the, the person, okay, wait, hold on. Long story short, I was involved with someone for a long time and then I found out that he was with somebody because there was a picture of a jack o' lantern on his Instagram and he said, our first pumpkin carving. And so then I cried about it for a long time to my friends and one of my friends sent me back the flyer for my book release uh, at the beginning of the month and she's like, because I cried about it, I'm like, I feel like he got the last word, right? Like after five years of this frustrated relationship and I wrote all of these poems and we had all these fights and all this frustrated like waiting, waiting to be loved back. He did love back, but it wasn't me, right? I'm like, I feel like he got the last word. And then my friend sent me the flower to my book release. And then she was just like, no, you got the last word. He can keep his fucking pumpkin. <laughs> and so then, like all, like, all this time, I'm like, he can keep his pumpkin. <laughs> it's become my thing. So much that I almost got a jack-o'-lantern tattooed onto my wrist because I was just like, not for him, but just for the sake of like, 
we always, I think a lot of us are always chasing after what we think we want. And then the universe is like, <laughs> oh, you're so cute. <laughs> so that's why I feel like every time I dream, the universe tells me to dream bigger. Because I really like having some like simple ass dreams, right? Like, I mean, like it's not simple to have a book on a bookshelf, right? But that was all, like, I didn't know what else would come with that. I just wanted my name on the spine of something sitting in a shelf. And then the universe was like, word, you're going to get that. But then you're also going to get all of this. And then I got all of you. And I've got all these beautiful faces that show up everywhere um, where I read my poems. And, and I think that that's like a, a, a gift that I never even thought to ask for, right? And, um, and so, yeah, so he can keep his pumpkin. <laughs> my fourth chapter in my book um, was the most difficult chapter for me. Um, it's kind of like, you know that drawer in your kitchen that you just throw, like when you... You know that drawer where you're just like, where the fuck the fuck you put it in the drawer? And you just throw all the stuff in there. And then, But you always end up needing what's in that drawer. And so that's what the fourth chapter is for me. It was all the difficult poems that I was just like, I don't know where else they would live, but they need to live in a book, right? And and they do make sense to the book. They're, they're part of the story, but they're kind of like just, they're in there for like when I need them. And some days I'm like, oh shit. Like, I really, really, like, this is a part of my story that I never really get to told. So I'm going to read three poems together from this section. The Funeral. Mommy comes home from El Salvador. This time she left to bury her mother. She asks if we want to see the video to the funeral. I don't want to, but nod. I see all the faces I know from distance. The names that can only be pronounced in Spanish. The characters and all the stories Mommy never told us. There's a mariachi singing woman with rosary beads and wet eyes, men in button shirts with sweat stains under their arms. The camera focuses on the coffin, and I can see my tiny grandmother, bones and ashen skin, laying amongst the roses and wildflowers. I don't want to look, but I do. Mummy is standing next to the coffin. Someone I don't recognize is patting her shoulder. My hands on my lap squeeze each other. I look across the room. Mommy is sitting on the couch and she's not crying anymore. This time it is me with the wet eyes. This is how I know. This is how it is when home is too far away and grief comes delayed in phone calls or videos. We don't know what to do with our hands that cannot spread over distance and time. The video ends. That night I dream about the funeral, but this time it is my father's. I am not there again. I wake up to empty hands, always these empty hands. Eight years ago on a Tuesday, your father and all his body parts slowed down until the alcohol finally took what the doctor said was leaving years ago. You, your mother and sisters do what you do best. You take care of it, plan the wake, call family, make jokes, feed the guests. Tonight, your lover calls after a night of drinking. You tell him you're celebrating an anniversary that you almost forgot. But thank goodness your mother lit a candle on the dining room table next to your father's favorite picture of himself. Your father's grave is in a Salvador. And this lets you pretend that he is less dead. Your lover asks if you're okay. You press your back into the mattress. 
I'm sorry, I guess life is really good now. That you don't know who you are apologizing to. My mother's mother leans in. Your father was a terrible man. Your mother deserves so much more. I slide my headphones on, cry with no sound. My mother's sister tells me about my father groping her and I do not want to listen. I know his sins. I lived them. I know his love. I lived it. I grieve for the daughter that I will never be again. Thank you. I want to read the poem that like caused me so much drama online. So at first, um, first it was titled "White Men on Okie Cupid." <laughs> I changed the title to "Survival Tactics." <laughs> Just I want to like I want to sneak attack them, you know? Like they're like, oh, you know, this is you know, oh, I'm, I feel so culture. I'm reading like a Salvadoran girl's poems, da, da, da. and then they're like white man, and they're like, oh shit. But they're already like in the poem, so they can't like they're already in the you know they already bought the book. It's like the ninja poem. A white man on dating app asks why I. Rewind. Um, I'm on all the dating apps, right? At this point, it's just a social experiment. <laughs> I gave up. I gave up. But um, I'm on all of them, and all of my apps say uh, no white men. Right? Like, all of them say, I don't date white men. And then the messages are hilarious. Because there'll be people like, I'm not white, I'm Italian. I'll be like, you're not coffee, you're decaf. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, okay, come home now. <laughs> I'm gonna, that was a joke I just thought of right now. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm a, I think in tweets, I'm like, I should tweet that. <laughs> white man on the dating app asks why I don't date white men. He likes curvy Latinas. Always wanted to sleep with someone like me. He says I'm the smart kind of Mexican. Right? The kind with, <laughs> the kind with a job and no kids. I probably have a temper and he finds angry women sexy. White man offers to buy me tickets to any concert. Says he can spoil a little brown girl like me. He's already dreaming of it. How holy that would be. How saved that will become. White man is already colonizing. Teaching me he is God. That I don't know better. It's his job to show me after all. I am brown meant to be walked on like soil. Hands, backs. I don't say anything. I don't know who he is. I'm only a picture on a website. Only a name on a direct message, a profile description that says I am Salvadoran and only date men of color. Meaning, I can only love you to find breath in someone that understands the suffocation. Meaning, I can only love somebody that doesn't look like what took everything. Meaning, I am only willing to love my own reflection. White man thinks he is the exception. Of course he does. He's a white man after all. Thank you. That leads for a lot of interesting conversations with people afterwards. Like, oh, you hate me because I'm white. I'm like, no. Like, 
I'm calling out Wayne as an institution, not you as a person. I didn't say Bob in the poem. I'm like, I have a nephew that's half white. You know, like, you gotta do the thing. I love you, kinda, I don't know. I have white friends. I like using, like, reverse things like that. And the last chapter is, it's my favorite chapter. Um, it's the fifth chapter. These chapters don't have titles. Um, but it's, I wanted to put something, I wanted to, the last chapter to be me on the good days, right? Like, most badass version of me that I know, like, on the days where I could be like, yeah, I'm ready to, like, take everything on. So I put a bunch of poems that are pretty much love poems to myself and to the people around me. And, um, and yeah, I love ending things full of love after I talk shit for a few pages. <laughs> but that, that's the point, right? Like, uh, the Soto's story of survival, especially, um, it's the story of me coming into my womanhood and surviving everything that was a hurdle along the way, right? And, and, and that I will have to continue surviving. And my family will have to continue surviving all these stories that I didn't really get into today just because um, uh, there's other poems that talk about like a lot of heavier things and, and um, I am not in that space today, but you know, we're surviving, right? And so then survival isn't this dark space. It's, it's colorful and it's bright. And there's mariachis playing there, you know? And there's uh, a lot of Hennessy there <laughs> with pineapple juice. The only thing you could drink there is pineapple juice and Hennessy or both of them together for me. That's gonna, all I'm going to have like at my wedding and every other event that I ever do. And water, because people be thirsty. <laughs> One time, Tia Marina chased her husband around the lemon trees with a frying pan after he spent all their money on alcohol. Another time, Tia Reina's husband tried fighting the other husbands. She walked outside and said to him, Deja de tus chingaderas, vámonos. And he followed her home. In our family, anytime something broke, a door, a pipe, a child, oh no, lost my place. a door, a pipe, a child, the woman would pull out the tools and fix it themselves. The men somewhere else falling apart. Don't you want a husband, a distant relative asked at a party? I sit my Hennessy and ask, for what? Thank you. Yo soy de aquí y yo soy de allá. Mi corazón se viste con las luces de Sunset Boulevard, el tráfico del 101, el olor del café tropical y la huella de los globos. Mi piel se baña en el río de Jalponga, la puntilla y la cañada que pasa por la casa de mi abuela. Estas mismas manos parten pupusas y pizza. Mis caderas bailan cumbias y hip hop. Amo a todas mis parejas con mis dos lenguas. En ambos países soy complicada y tierna. La misma colocha con labios rojos y un amor que no sabe nada de fronteras. Thank you. This one's the third book, but wait a minute, which one? Okay. Trying to check out my time. Are y'all good? 
Yeah? Okay. I'm gonna do like two or three more pieces and then and then we'll do other stuff. I don't know. Okay. Uh, this poem's called Saya. And Saya is my seven year old niece and um my favorite person. She's dramatic as fuck. I love it. Because that means she's mine. She asked me for a journal with a lock so her brother won't read it. Her brother's too. But she wants a lock on that journal. And I was like, yes, I will buy you that for Christmas. Um, yeah, the other day she was having a bad day. I'm like, are you having a rough day? She goes, every year I've been having a rough day. I was like, Let me introduce you to poems because you need them. So I always, I promised her that I would write her a poem and, and I did and I wrote it from her voice. And, and before I put it in my manuscript, I let her read it. I read it to her um, because I wanted her to approve it. And she was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thea, oh no, she goes, well, I'll tell you afterwards. Thea says my eyes are two night skies and my hair as dark as the ocean at midnight. I laugh. She says funny things all the time. She kisses my hands and says my brown skin is the prettiest she's ever seen. Makes my face feel warm and my heart grow. Thea's job is to write stories and I help her. We have a pretend friend named Fluffy and Fluffy always makes a mess. Thea says everyone is messy sometimes. When it's cold, we sit on her big chair and share a blanket. I tell her I want to watch Beady Beady Boom Boom. Did you know that Selena looks like me? Brown hair and eyes. When Thea cries, I pretend not to notice. I know it's because she loves me a lot and sometimes it doesn't fit inside of her and leaks out through her eyes. She's going to write a book about me one day. You're crazy, I tell her. We sing Bidi Bidi Bom Bom really loud until Abuela says she can't hear her novela. We laugh. <laughs> Thea is crying again. Thank you. She goes, why does it say you're crying all the time? And I go, do I cry all the time? She goes, yeah. <laughs> Like you do. Well, actually, her favorite word is actually, well, actually, you're not crying right now. Well, actually, she's, she's my joy. Um, okay, I'll do this one. Ode to a fat girl's crop top. Sweet shirt made of little fabric. Folded and unfolded, tucked into the bottom drawer, pulled out and inspected, worn in hesitance. Exposing one single strip of tender flesh, anxious hands tugging at your hem, mothers and aunts asking where the rest of you has gone. I mean, how why can't you just wear a regular shirt that they mira toda la panza? <laughs> Out in the world, you become a fuck you, a fist ready to fight, a go ahead and look as long as you want, a strut down a crosswalk, a laugh at turned up noses, and I don't give a shit, I look damn good, a parade a victory, a graduation, wedding, and quinceanera happening at the same damn time. A fat girl who loved herself today. Thank you. And my last poem. Thank you so much, y'all have been so great. This is, yeah, it's been so good. Um, I told Danny, I was like, I'm only gonna do 30 minutes. And then I looked at him like, I've been up here a while. Whatever. <laughs> I'm living my dream. I'm living my best life. I was listening to Cardi B before I got here. That's my girl. 
At my funeral, I want you to play Bidi Bidi Bomb Bomb, followed by Back That Ass Up, followed by Juan Gabriel, followed by Drake. In that order. At my funeral, I want you to eat all that you can. Please don't turn down my mommy's food. She'll be grieving and offer you playful, say yes to each one. This will make you feel closer to me. At my funeral, don't read any of my poems. I wrote those to stay alive. Let them rest, stretch their limbs, pack their bags, find new fingers. At my funeral, let the men make jokes. I have understood that masculinity only allows them to be tender through laughter, and I want them soft and sweet during my final goodbye. At my funeral, thank the woman, my sisters, my mother, my girlfriends, kiss their palms, Keep their tissues, they are holy. And what I am the saddest about leaving at my funeral, let the babies run free. Kiss their heads, sneak pastries into their chubby hands, wash their faces flush with delight. At my funeral, find the little girls and let them try on my lipsticks, especially the red ones. Let them walk through the house, each mouth a rosebud made just for me at my funeral. Don't feel obligated to cry. Dance if that's what your body asked for. Remember this mind, this remember this body of mine felt most alive beneath strobe lights and loud music. At my funeral, I will be dead, of course. And this will be a victory. Praise the sudden illness that claimed me. Praise the hospital bed I held in. Praise the doctors and nurses and prayers that try to keep me. Praise this heart of mine that just couldn't anymore. Praise all the years that came, wrapped themselves around my legs and pulled me away. Praise my death because it did not come from my own hands or razor blade or pill. It came because it was time because my body or my God said come home and I collected all that I am and walked through that door at my funeral. Play a song that said I survived myself. Praise be such a sweet, sweet end. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. So I don't know what we're gonna do now. This is the, I know we were gonna do a Q and A. Are we doing the Q and A now or later? After the tamales, I didn't bring any. Did you bring the tamales? Okay, we'll do a Q and A now. Um, how much time do we have for the Q and A? Okay, that's one question for me. <laughs> I'll try to be brief. But yeah, does anybody have any questions or anything like that? And this is the part where y'all look at me with blank faces and you don't ask anything. And then when I'm signing your books, you want to ask me questions. <laughs> and there's like 20 people behind you. And like I have to be like, yes, yes, okay, just DM me. And so um, ask me now. Yes. Um, yes, of course. Um, I come from a long lineage of people who, who write, right? Like, I, I'm, the people that I look up to are Sandra Cisneros, Isabel Allende, Julia Alvarez, those are my elders. Those are the women that influence me and who I, I, I list like saints every time somebody asks me, right? Um, and, and I, I am definitely contributing to the conversation because none of those women look like me. None of them are Salvadoran. None of them are fat women. None of them are also uh, hyphenated Americans, you know, and 
And those are all things that I bring to the table that I tell with my story. And I think it's, it's really important for um, the generation after me to see what space I've been able to create. Um, no, I'm not even create. What space I've been able to find. Because I didn't create you all. You all existed. All we did was find each other. And, and so by creating um, a career that mirrors my actual life, you know, um, it allows other people to want to create those mirrors for themselves and be able to show up. And upon, unapologetic is my favorite word, and it's what I try to be on most days. It doesn't always work out, but I go into a space and I'm just myself 100%. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, but for the most part, it's pretty good. My publishers know the, how I am, so we're good. And then they're, they're like, we have lawyers. I'm like, oh, that's cool then. I'm going to just be me. But... Um, uh, yeah, like I, I hope that, I really, really hope that um, the young woman writers, young femmes looking at me um, know that they can exist however it is that they want to exist. I don't come from an academic world. I dropped out of high school. And so I've been able to do something for myself that I thought could only happen if you have a degree. And so that's already a whole new part of the story that's been created. You know, and not, I'm not the only one doing it. There's many of us, right? But this this generation, and so then the next generation, who knows what they come up with? I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they write about, and if we've had flying cars by then, <laughs> you know, and then all those other things. But yeah, anybody else? Yes. Um, I have two questions. Yes. One of them is, uh, who is Jenny? My sister. Okay. Um, so the question was, who is Jenny? So yeah, it's funny because I have two sisters, Jennifer and Julissa. Julissa never makes it into my poems. Um, but I think just, it's because we're the farthest apart in age. Jennifer and I are a year and a half apart, and she's the mother of my niece and nephew, who are in, if, if you follow me on social media, you see them on all my social media, um, especially Henry, because uh, I announced like the diva. But um, yeah, she's my sister and, and my best friend. And, um, you know, they're the people that have gone to war with you. And so, no, this, what I write is her, as much her story as it is mine. So I say her name in a lot of my, my work because it's how I ground my sisters in it. Um, and then mangoes, uh, mangoes are everything. Um, my grandmother's property is lined by mangoes down by the river. There's a river behind my grandmother's house and it's lined with mangoes. And in order to get to the mangoes, I had to go through a field of cows to get to the mango, and I was scared of the cows because one of them kicked me once. And so there's a story that I tell that um, I went with my mother once, and she was uh, bringing down the green, the, we call them the mangos tiernos, like the infants, right? And those are like uh, bitter, and you eat those with limon, and they're, they're her favorite. And she gave me like a whole tarro, like a whole little bucket, and she's like, take this to the house, because I was going to go back to the house. She goes, take this to the house, and I'll be back up later. And so I'm walking in and the cows are like coming like to see if I have something for them. So I take a mango and I throw it far away. And so the cows eat the mango, but then they keep coming back. So I keep throwing the mangoes and I get to the other side and I don't have any of the mangoes. <laughs> and, and so um, all of that is a big metaphor for me that, um, for me always that like to get what I love, I have to brave what I don't love, like what, I, what terrifies me. And, um, and then also it's my home. And that's why the mangoes in front of Corazon and the lemon tree is on Tesoro because my house in LA, 
Um, we have two lemon trees in the front. And the trees are imagery that show up in DeSoto also. And um, there's a poem in the beginning of DeSoto that says, I'm always writing love letters to mangoes. And I don't pay attention to like the lemons in my front yard. And so it's this, you know, it's that that's plain. I don't know what the third book will have on it, <laughs> but we'll figure it out what, what um, produce will be on there. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes, my love over here. Yes. Um, Are you going to their thing later? No, I'm just okay. visiting for the day. Yeah. I'm from San Francisco. Anyways, um, I'm curious as to like how finding your collective or community like influences your art, and like how you would suggest other people go about finding like their groups that you mm -hmm. know dealing with diaspora, dealing with like being Chicana or being you know just all these different things that you touch yeah. on. Yeah. Um. I mean, finding my community was really important because it's really important to have people that understand you, right? And uh, I was part of uh, the spoken word community in LA for many years, but it's a p very um, black community, which is very beautiful, and I've learned so much, and I've felt so welcomed and so supported. My mentors are have all been black folks, black men and women, um, but there was that missing something, right? Like that, that I'm like, I can't speak Spanish for any of you, right? Like, I don't, like, y'all, like, there's different things. And, I like, just I honor their different parts with my story. And so I set off looking for, like, Instagram accounts and Tumblr accounts and all these things of people that resonated with me. And um, I stumbled into the Boyle Heights community, and I stumbled into this um, group of people that were waiting for me. Like, it literally felt like they were waiting for me. And I've made some beautiful friends that happen to be people that do dope shit. And in LA, the people that are creating dope shit in LA are women. And we've all somehow managed, like in the Latinx community, and we've somehow managed to find each other. And we like just hold each other up, we hype each other up. Um, you know, my homegirls are Locatora Radio, they have a podcast and they're also host stuff. They've hosted events for me. I've written poems for my friends that have brands. And we just all like work on stuff because we're so excited and eager to create a new world that like we could thrive in, right? And, and and so just use the internet. That's how I met all of them on Instagram. Most of my friends that I have now, I met them through Instagram. So, I mean, you know, just be careful who you're meeting up with. <laughs> like, connect with people whose stories connect with you, because there's some accounts. If they don't have pictures, don't, don't. <laughs> okay, I have one more question and then we'll wrap up. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad you did. Uh, and I actually saw you with um, Alma. She put up um, uh, one of the, the reading in downtown like, last year. Oh, at the, um, it was at a museum. Yeah, so yes. Like, the first time I ever went anywhere alone. Oh, I'm so glad. That was such a special night. I'm so glad you came to that. Yes, you did. DM me your information. I, I, I get a lot of requests to go to schools and, and I have to be like realistic to my own body that I can't do everything. 
but I always try to do something. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I can't come to your school, I, I'll give you some books for your students, or, or just DM me and we'll figure something out. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I learned this year was that I can't say yes to everything, even though, like, in my heart completely wants to. Like, if I could, I would just do everything for free all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> my landlord would be like, uh, bitch. <laughs> you live in Silver Lake. <laughs> Anybody will come here immediately. Um, and so, and so, um, especially because I'm going on tour um, most of December and then the college circuit and and all that, but just DM me in whenever I'm in town, and if I have a week where I'm not doing anything, I'll hit you up, and maybe we could arrange a visit. I just went to a high school in um, Mid-City, and it was all uh, Central American kids, and it was fantastic, and so I want to do some more of that. But yeah, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you. It's Friday night, so I hope y'all go turn up. If you're looking for anything to do, my homegirls, Locatora Radio, they're having their second anniversary party. So um, it's on my Instagram. Just find it. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you so much, Skylight, for having me. And um, not a cult. Thank you so much for making everything possible. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.